There's that fresh, fresh beat. Been talking about it for some time. New music, new background upgrade. Shout out to Billy Coker, the entire team. This is Freightonomics. I'm Anthony Smith. And I'm Zach I'm Strickland. Zach Strickland. <laughs> and thank you so much for tuning in. So, Anthony, we've got a big show today. We do. We so do. First off, though, we need to talk about what we do here at Freightonomics. What do we do on Freightonomics? Glad you asked. <laughs> Freightonomics is the podcast where we bring freight and economics together, and the two make a wonderful pairing. You have Zach Strickland, who has an immense background in the freight industry. The freight guy. The freight guy. I am Anthony Smith, the lead economist here at Freightwaves, and bringing the tonomics to freightonomics um and i have a background the econ (laughs) i have a background in uh, macroeconomic uh advisory at the executive level for various industries whether it's manufacturing or consumer side and um we are just excited to be here right now i mean as you mentioned we have a full show today Mm -hmm. we even have a special guest that might be joining us here shortly and zach too zach too zach too coming back because it's that time again is that time again? Um, talking about the LMI mm-hmm. and a couple of other macroeconomic releases and some of the top stories today and the freight industry. Also, we are streaming, I believe, on most of these uh, on either LinkedIn and Hello. Facebook. So I'm going to have that pulled up here so you can join in on the conversation if you are watching live. But without further ado, Zach. Yeah. Zach one Z1. Z1. Yeah, we'll get to we'll get to Zach two here a little bit later. But first off, we want to lead off with you know the the top stories of the day. Um, you know, the freight market obviously uh, is you know not been terribly volatile here of late in terms of you know really week to week movement. Something that we've diverged from uh, March, April, May. Very very volatile months in terms of up down up. Not sure. Um, and, and the June market has pushed us back to more of what we traditionally see in the seasonal, you know, upticks in June. We're actually not that far off of what we would normally see in terms of, I would say, a seasonal movement. Now, volumes are up, uh, but rates are still way down. Uh, so that means that capacity is still pretty available. We've got a, you know, a 5.6-ish. Uh, tender rejection rate sitting out there right now, which is pretty indicative of around where we would think 2019-ish rate levels would be. But we're up over 2018 volume levels. Now, this is pretty, I think this is a confusing state of being for a lot of people that are in the market, Anthony Smith, because normally there's a lot of demand. You think, oh, that's going to compress the supply. Yeah. But carriers are just coming off of sitting around for a month, (laughs) you know, expecting the worst. Uh, you know, so they're definitely taking into account the fact that any freight that they get offered, they need to go ahead and take advantage of it. So we are seeing a very, uh, you know, a very soft rate market right now. Volumes are still pretty strong. So take care of that utilization factor as a lot of you uh, carriers do. Uh, But I think the top story of the week, or at least at the moment, you know, right now is sitting on that FMCSA ruling that they're canceling, you know, some of that HOS exemption for some of these sectors that they were doing for the uh, the COVID-19 outbreak. Uh, of course, we're talking about the hours of service rule, you know, 11 hours that you can drive, 14 hours that you can be on duty. Uh, they had exempted, you know, food, drugs, anything that you can name almost as, you know, any kind of DC replenishment orders, you just name it. And they were, they were exempting that. Uh, they have now pulled back on that <clears throat> to an extent 
it was set to expire June 19th. Uh, a lot of those do still expire. A lot of the food uh, products still are, are, you know, now it's going to go back to where it was. You're back on the 11-hour, 14-hour clock. So a lot of the reefer carriers, uh, things like that. Any DC replenishment, now it's just restricted to uh, medical supplies, um, anything that's actually directly related to the COVID-19, uh, you know, outbreak, uh, you're basically really limited to emergency equipment, things like that, uh, much smaller livestock feed, et cetera, is in that as well. So, uh, the, you know, the, the scale of that has reduced significantly. And so that's probably going to, I think, have a downward impact on that capacity because essentially hours of service requirements were eliminated for just about anything until June 14th. Here in a few days, that's expiring. They're going to get another month uh, out of the rest of it just to see where they stand. So, you know, this to me is kind of a signal that the government is kind of seeing that things are returning to normal. And we're, we're seeing that in the data. What do you think, Anthony? Yeah, I, I'm kind of surprised by this a little somewhat, but it's, it's like you said, it's a return, return to normalcy. And that's refreshing to see. Um, and, and, and I'm always skeptical when these kind of uh, things are put in place, what's it going to be like kind of peeling them back, whether it might be a new regulation or a new policy. I'm thinking, all right, sounds nice now, but when you take this away, how easy is that going to be? That's, that's always my skepticism here. So it sounds like um, there is some return to normalcy here. And so I guess, would you say the recovery is on? Yeah, I, I mean, I think the data supports that. I think the data supports this decision. We're seeing, you know, we, we obviously monitor a lot of different data sets here. We have uh, the Passport team has been looking at a lot of credit card consumer information here of late. Uh, for those Passport subscribers out there, you would have seen this. And we're starting to see where, you know, food and beverage peaking, just going, you know, all in uh, in April, even throughout the pandemic, the, the major shutdowns, it's starting to return to a normal pattern of consumer spending. We're seeing other things such as electronics. Um, obviously, we talked about home improvement a few weeks ago. They're actually overachieving already, uh, starting at the end of April. People sitting at their houses, buying up that Home Depot, Lowe's, uh, you know, wood building material stuff. So <clears throat> I, th I think this is it's basically kind of a result of what we're already seeing in the data. Do they need to be exempt? You know, I don't, I don't think so. Not at this point. Uh, I think we're starting to see the country, even though there's still a lot of places that are shut down uh, and have not fully returned to normal, we're seeing that demand side stuff already come back. So we're, uh, you know, I think the government's reflecting that in their decision here because it is about safety with the FMCSA. Uh, you do not need to have extended period of time. You know, we do this with hurricanes and other natural disasters. Once things start to kind of slow down or the volatility removes itself from the situation, people are not dropping, you know, left and right from not having food and beverage. Uh, so I think that's, you know, it's not an issue of safety at this point. So not not something I, I'm not anticipating of this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and speaking of government... Yeah, we had some we had some big stuff come out. Now I talked to you about this earlier today. Yeah, and I was like, Anthony, what's the deal? So CPI, and I was like, Meh. <laughs> <laughs> you were like, he, he literally just shut me right off, and I was just like, Meh, dude, we had deflation, deflation, Meh. People, <laughs> you know, you're you're gonna have to explain the CPI and why this is relevant for people. You're the economist here. 
Tell us what the CPI is and tell us why this is an important number to watch. Sure. So as, as you mentioned, we have um, the CPI. There's also um, the, it stands for the Consumer Price Index. There's also the Producer Price Index. And what the CPI is, essentially, it measures the average change over time in the prices paid by, uh, by customers or consumers in a market based on um, a market basket of consumer goods and services. So essentially, are things being, are they more expensive to buy or less expensive to buy uh, for consumers? Conversely, there's the, the producer price index. Is it more or less expensive to produce these goods and services? So what we saw was um, some downward movement, uh, I think, for the third straight month for the CPI. And um, so I think what that will do is going to allow, we ha we've seen a lot of Fed activity, of course, with the recent events of everything in the economy. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think that's going to allow them to feel more comfortable with making certain movements and staying active in a financial stimulus sense. We're looking at um, different stimulus packages or plans or policies being rolled out in the coming months. Yeah, and we've got a Fed action on deck today, correct? Do we? Do we? Did I miss, did I miss that? We had Jerome Powell talk. Yeah. I thought we had a, I thought we had a, a, a something they were going to do this afternoon. The FOMC announcement? Yeah, maybe, maybe that's what I was thinking about. Anyway, yeah. so the CPI, of course, basically inflation. So basically what this means is that you are now pay, you are paying less for the, again, they excluded food and beverage from this, did they not? You could, yeah, you could do the core. Yeah, um, they just did the core. Mm -hmm. I think this is what this was reporting. So uh, excluding food and beverage, you're paying less for consumer products than you were uh, a month ago by 0.1%. Yeah. So basically, a lot of discounts. This actually makes sense to me. Uh, I, I kind of overreacted. I was being a little drama queen <laughs> to Anthony just to see if I could get a reaction. But considering the fact that people aren't going to retail stores, they're not allowed to go out, this is a reflection of discounts, uh, people having too much inventory. They're trying to get people to buy stuff online, et cetera. It is not really a true deflationary number, in my opinion, uh, where you would be very concerned about deflation uh, just because that's a sign that the economy itself is collapsing. This is not that. This is simply just a correction to, like, incentivize people to get out and purchase things. They've got some government stimulus packages out there that are, uh, you know, burning some holes in some people's pockets, I guess. Uh, so, again, I, I think this is good for freight in general. It just means that people are out there still looking to consume things, which means more freight on trucks, et cetera. But Moving on from this, unemployment rate. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we had a few things that came out since our mm -hmm. last uh, last chat here on Freightonomics. We have the unemployment rate, which came out surprisingly low here. At, uh, but they had to do a little bit of a wiggle here, correct? Yeah. They had to do a correction. Somebody slept on their keyboard a bit. There was a misclassification, <laughs> in a sense, here. And so we saw that the most recent number that was released, I think it was Friday, showed it was a 13.3% unemployment rate. Um, that uh, was a little bit lower than people were expecting. We were expecting somewhere into high teens to some expecting even like low 20 percent. And um, so the, the issue came in when the job status as employed but absent for work um, did not count towards unemployment total. So that really kind of shook things up. And if that misclassification wasn't in place, we expect it to have hit somewhere around potentially the 16% mark or maybe even higher. So there was a misclassification there. Um, the good news is, if there is good news, about two, uh, no, about three quarters 
of uh, the overall unemployment um, numbers that came in were due to temporary layoffs. So that talks to folks starting to come back or have some hopes of coming back instead of permanent uh, separations. Yeah, so my takeaway from this, something we've said here before, I believe, is the fact that this is not a true 16%, 16 16.3% unemployment rate. It's not comparable to the Depression or the Great Recession of 2008, 2009. These are temporary layoffs uh, that are not permanent. A lot of the employers are bringing these people back. They simply were able to give them unemployment benefits while they did not need their services. Yeah. Uh, So, again... Everybody expecting an increase in this in May, it comes back down, just validating the fact that we have come off the bottom, uh, you know, substantially. Things should be moving forward. They are moving forward. All the stats line up, you know, back up to a 13.3%, uh, you know, or sorry, that was the error. Uh, but, the, it, you know, we're, we're still increasing, like, employment levels. So that means that people are coming back to work, coming back into the office, um, I still don't think it is a pure number uh, in terms of where you can really apply, you know, the 15% unemployment rate to the economy itself. Yeah. Uh, because they are getting that stimulus package. They are still able to spend that money. So, again, I'm not I, – I, I, everything's positive right here for me. It's still – maybe it's not as aggressive <laughs> yeah. as, you know, the drop was, but it's still a move in the right direction. It's movement. It's yeah. movement. And it's, I think the movement was what people expected, but a little bit sooner than what people expected. Mm-hmm. And then that misclassification really kind of shakes things up again. But yet we have brilliant people running these numbers and talking about brilliant people. We're moving in the right about, direction now. Yeah, we are moving in the right <laughs> direction. And talking about brilliant people behind brilliant numbers, we're here with uh, Zach Rogers of Colorado State University. He is a professor there, and he is also um, one of the, the, the main guys that helped put together leading the charge with the Logistics Managers Index. Hello, Dr. Zach Rogers. Hey, how's it going, guys? Zach, too. Happy. Affectionately yeah, called yeah, Zach, too. Right. Yeah, Zach, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah on, on this podcast, I'm happy to be Zach, too. <laughs> You're, you're as still, long you're, as you guys are the number one logistics and economics podcast, I can be Zach too. You <laughs> you're Zach one in my book. <laughs> well, thanks. Thank you for joining us, Zach. Absolutely. No, I'm I'm happy to be here. And Zach, uh, we one of the things I mentioned here uh, for those of you who may not have tuned in last time. Dr. Rogers was here with us. He heads up the Logistic Managers Index with a, a group of brilliant professors throughout the country. Um, Zach, can you give us a quick rundown of what the yeah, LMI absolutely. is and what some of the latest yeah. changes are? Sure. So uh, it's it's an index we put together with uh, Dale Rogers from Arizona State University, Stephen Carnavali from the Rochester Institute of Technology, Ron Lemke from University of Nevada, and Shen Yen Yurk from Rutgers University. And so the Logistics Managers Index, or LMI, is a diffusion or change index that we put out every month. And basically what we do is we ask a couple hundred uh, respondents uh, who are all kind of director level and above where eight different supply chain logistics metrics are going. So we ask them about inventory levels, inventory costs, warehousing costs, capacity, and utilization, and transportation cost capacity and utilization. And all we ask them is, is it staying the same? Is it going down? Is it going up? We average those scores together, and basically we get a zero to 100 index. And so uh, 50 means no movement at all. 
anything over 50 means increasing, under 50 means decreasing. And in the the higher above 50 it is, the greater the magnitude of growth is, the lower, you know, uh, you know, below 50, the more below 50 it is, the, the greater the magnitude of contraction is. I don't know why that was so hard to say. But um, but so that's sort of the way we do it. This Excellent. month's LMI yeah. came out uh, last Tuesday, and we always let it out the first Tuesday of every month. And and the overall LMI right now is a 54.5, which is up from last month, which where it was a 51, which was the lowest we had ever seen. Now, it's important to point out, I think, uh, and Anthony, we, we talked about this a little bit last week. Um, the uh, maybe that was this week. Uh, I think time is really running uh, in a flat circle for me right now. Uh, it, it, you know, so the important thing to point out here is that transportation is coming back, but still negative in some places. Okay, so we're still seeing transportation capacity kind of increase. So we have a little bit of of excess capacity, and prices are at forty nine. Which basically means, I mean, a 49 is, is close enough to 50 that we would almost call that no movement, but it's slightly negative. So prices are slightly down. Now, if you compare that to last month, prices were like a 37, which was the lowest they'd ever been. And so essentially what we're seeing with trans, on the transportation side is we had a big, big drop. Okay, so from basically mid-March to the end of April, transportation was just... Uh, you know, on on the downward slope of a roller coaster, basically. In May, it's still down, but but very very slightly. And so I think what we're seeing now is sort of the plateau piece of the kind of U-shaped recovery we're going to have. When I was here last last time, we talked about you know it's not going to be a V-shaped recovery. It's going to be a U, hopefully not a W, but you know you know maybe a U, and. What I think that the May numbers tell us is that that sort of downward curve of the U, we're done with that. So we've we've bottomed out, and now we're starting this sort of slow slope back up. The problem is going to be that that delta, that upward delta, you know, is going to to be a lot smaller. It's going to take us a lot longer, just like you know, uh, going up or down a hill on your bike or whatever. It's going to take us a lot longer to come back up than it did to come back uh, down. Now, now, Zach, I got to ask. So, I, I mean, I guess in my mind, the V-shape recovery was, you know, I was pretty skeptical of that call in general. But at the same time, I have to be concerned about the definition of what a V-shape recovery is. Now, uh, V-shaped, V-shaped to me means that you bounce down at the same rate that you came, you know, you, you basically recover at the same rate that you fell down. Yep. And yep. essentially what you're saying is that we're going to recover at a slower rate than we fell down out of March. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Yep. So yeah. we're, we're, we're on the way back up. We, we have hit the bottom now. And that's assuming, you know, I'm sure you guys saw there's some states, uh, Anthony's home state of, of Arizona would be one of them where uh, the, the virus has come back a little bit uh, from where it was uh, because you know, everyone in Anthony's neighborhood needed to get out golfing last <laughs> month or whatever. Um, but so it, it has started coming back a little bit. And so what this what this assumes is that we don't see a really big second wave coming back, because obviously a big second wave comes back and, you know, all bets are off, probably. But if we kind of maintain where we are right now, we're now on the sort of slowly curving back up part 
uh, of, of that recovery. So now, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. So sorry to yeah, interrupt, no, but I, I would just ask, are there any specific sectors that you're seeing recover faster than others? Yeah. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, grocery, uh, sort of the day-to-day stuff is doing really well. What, what I can tell you is that there's sectors we're seeing recover more slowly. Okay. The worst one right now is apparel. <laughs> apparel, right. furniture, electronics are just getting slammed. I mean, you know, JCPenney is going bankrupt, all that stuff. Uh, I, I was looking at some uh, some data from the uh, the International Council of Shopping Centers, uh, the ICSC. It's actually a really good uh, data source, and uh, it said that you know at shopping centers, basically, uh, apparel sales are down eighty nine percent year over year. So I mean, it's just it's just an absolute bloodbath over there. Yeah, and they're down in a way that that really hurts because they have a lot of inventory. Okay, and so one of the things that we saw in the LMI this month is that inventory levels and uh, and warehousing uh, continue to act like uh, the economy is really hot right now. Okay, so inventory costs right now are at a sixty-six, which it should not be at a sixty-six if you're not moving. Right, right. If there's no demand, why are you spending all this money on on inventory? Well, it's because we brought all this inventory in, and now it has no place to go. So, uh, warehousing capacity, I think, uh, warehousing capacity and transportation prices, those are our only two metrics this month that we're tracking. We talked about why transportation prices are down, although it's you know it's it's sloping back up. Warehousing capacity <coughs> is actually even lower than transportation because we have all of this stuff and nowhere to put it. And so that part of uh, the LMI, that sort of warehousing inventory part, is actually driving it up. It's why it's at a 54 right now, which is a, a decent, I mean, a low, but decent rate of, of expansion. It's because sort of the, the storage piece of our economy is doing really well right now. So, you know, uh, you know, you know where, what industries are, 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 you know, really prospering? The warehousing and 3PL industry, uh, specifically 3PLs. Less of the focus on transportation, more of the, the the focus on storage and warehousing. It's a great time to own a bunch of warehouses right now because they're all totally. <laughs> yeah, we're we're seeing a lot of the same thing now. How similar do you think this is? We we saw some of this last year with the trade war. Uh, how similar yes. of a pattern do you think this is with a lot of warehouse movement? So we're seeing a lot of movement between warehouses, between distribution centers. Uh, it's kind of propping some freight volumes up. I think personally. Yes. Uh, how similar do you think this pattern is to that uh, from 2019? Well, you know what's funny is it's it's almost the opposite in some way. I mean, so so it's the same phenomenon, but for different reasons. So we break this out into <coughs> upstream and downstream firms. So uh, downstream firms would be like uh, retailers, basically any anyone that's customer facing, and then upstream firms would be like carriers, distributors, manufacturers, things like that. And um, and during the trade war, the downstream folks were keeping everything afloat, basically. So the consumer was really hot last year, uh, even during the trade war. Manuf- we had the manufacturing slump. Remember, the PMI went negative. Right. But, uh, but the consumer was still pretty hot. This year, uh, we're kind of seeing something different because the folks using the warehousing is – uh, it tends to be the upstream firms, okay? Downstream right now, 
they're not they're canceling orders left and right. They don't want you know electronic stores, apparel stores, all those kind of places. They're not taking any new orders right now. Uh, the upstream folks, however, they have they were still seeing some inventory trickle in even recently because you know it's a three month delay maybe if it's coming from you know from parts of the world, and they're sort of the ones right now that are sort of stuck with the bill basically. And so we have all of these upstream distributors that can't return things to their vendors and are just sitting on this big pile of inventory. And so those are the folks right now that are really use that, uh, utilizing these warehouse spaces. The downstream firms, the, the retailers, they're not utilizing the, 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 the warehouses uh, even close to, to the same rates. Um, so, you know, if you look, if you break out warehouse capacity by upstream and downstream, it's an even 50 right now. For the the downstream firms, so it's it's no no movement at all. They're they're they've been able to stay pretty lean. Their warehousing prices are at fifty four, so pretty low levels of growth. Upstream uh, respondents, it's a forty six for capacity, so they keep losing capacity, and their prices are a sixty three, which is nine points higher than it is for the the downstream folks. And so it, it, it's a really interesting observation you make, Zach, because. There is a lot of similarities in the results of what we're seeing here with the trade war uh, and, and you know, warehousing and movement propping up transportation. The difference is, is that now all the storage is coming from upstream in supply chain rather than downstream. And last year, those, those two were flipped. That's fantastic. <laughs> Yeah, Zach. And real quick, I mean, we, we get to chat about the different components of the LMI. And that's one of the things I really like is that ability to break out the different um, attributes of the transportation industry. One of the really cool parts of the LMI report that I really like that maybe you can talk to a little bit here is some of those future predictions that your respondents uh, talk to. Yeah. So every every month we ask uh, we ask them to, OK, 12 months from now, where do you see things going? And it tends to be pretty sunny. I, you know, um, I don't know if it's if it's hopeful or but uh, or 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 realistic or not. Although I will say, for the first two and a half years of the LMI, our our future predictions were actually really accurate. Uh, and again, this isn't us doing this. This is us saying, okay, in twelve months, where do you think this is going to be headed? And um, and so, like for transportation price, okay, that's a forty nine right now. They're predicting a sixty six a year from now which is a much higher number. And if you look at what Powell said today, you know, he said, oh, we're going to have a 5% GDP bounce in 2022. So, I mean, who knows what's going to happen. But if what Powell says is true, <coughs> I think that our, our future predictions are probably pretty right on in that we are going to start to see this come back. And honestly, 66, even though that seems like a high number right now where we're at 49, uh, you know, two years ago at this time, we were at like a 91 or a 92, you know, so <laughs> it, it's not, it wouldn't be totally unheard of. Yeah. 2018 was nuts. Uh, it wouldn't be totally unheard of, uh, for us to be bouncing back up. If we see that recovery, uh, sort of that slow sloping recovery happen, uh, the, the way that we think it would be, cause let's see the last time, uh, that we were in the sort of mid sixties would have been, yeah, March, March of last year, actually. Right. So other than, other than the one aberration that we had in the first three weeks of March this year. But yeah, so, so that, that would sort of make sense. So we'll slowly curve back up to sort of where we were. So a 66 by this time next year is what you're predicting? That's, that's their prediction. Now, I don't know. They, they, I, I will say that I, I do think 
in the last over the last year, I I think these have tended to come in a little high, but I don't think it'll be forty nine again. So I mean that would be. <laughs> Well, Zach, thank you so much for joining us today. We surely appreciate your insights. It's been amazing as always. Um, if you'd like to stick around, we're in the last few seconds of the show here. I think we have the next 30, 40 seconds here. We always like to end up with a little question slash debate, Zach. Yeah. So if you want to bear All with right. us for just a second. So I was listening to SiriusXM's Top 1000 Country Songs of All Time. <laughs> what do you Why? think? What do you think <laughs> the number one song was? The number one country song? Yep. All time. Uh, I don't even know a lot of country songs. Is it? Is it Garth Brooks? Yes. Wow. It was. Wow. It was Friends in Low Places. It wow. was the first oh, okay. countdown. Yeah. Well, that's a good one. Well done. You get a Genius. prize. <laughs> it was the first th- countdown that I was like, yes, I, I, can, I can swallow that. Wow. Well done. Well, that'll do it for this week's show. <laughs> Knocked it out. Okay. Well right. done, Zach. I was not expecting country music trivia. This is yeah. why you guys are the number one logistic deep down.